to enjoy life. You have one chance and you have one heart. And if you carry all that hatred in your heart, you're preventing yourself that happiness that life is all about. You should just enjoy life, enjoy what life has to offer. And for me personally, there is nothing better in life than the laughter of a child, than to be able to pay it forward and help somebody in need, to watch them find that inner spirit and inner life again. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're tuning in. This is a contagious smile where every smile tells a story. We have a gentleman with us who I have to say is on my list of must-haves, and I'm so glad he found the time to come on and talk with us. His name is Guy. I am going to kind of go through his bio through the interview because I just want everybody to realize all that this man has to offer you guys as our listeners. So, Guy, I want to take a moment and thank you so much for finding the time to speak with us today. Oh, my gosh, Victoria. It's such a pleasure to be on here. What you do for your community and everybody that you touch is, is so vitally important. And I'm so, so thankful to be here. It's, it's my honor, actually. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So tell the listeners a little bit about who you are. Okay. So I started out my career in the United States Army, easily the greatest fighting force on the face of the planet. Uh, quickly transitioned from my job that I started out with into special operations. Uh, did that for a number of years. Uh, got out of the military. Didn't do a full 20. Uh, got out of the military into my passion, which was law enforcement. Uh, worked in that a number of years, all the way up to deputy chief of police, uh, sniper, SWAT team, all that, uh, undercover investigations. And then uh, 2004, 2005, 2006, those years, the skill sets that I had learned in the military were Highly needed overseas in a little place called Iraq. I don't know if people have heard about that. Uh, so I spent some time over there in the desert working on my tan and doing bad things to bad guys um, as a contractor, mercenary, whatever you want to call it. Uh, people I protected overseas that people would know. I protected Toby Keith when he was in Iraq. I protected Jessica Simpson when she was in Iraq. I'm excited and, about Toby Keith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, that, that dude is such a good American uh, I think more what I had to do, it wasn't protecting the people. It wasn't protecting Toby Keith from people, but it was the other way around. It's protecting people from Toby Keith. <laughs> he just, he, he, every soldier over there, he wanted to meet every single one of them. And it was so awesome to see that kind of American patriotism, uh, especially in someone who's big and in the Hollywood circles and stuff like that. So it was really, Jessica Simpson, same way. She wanted to meet personally with every soldier, it seemed like. Um, after that, I came back. Uh, I got myself shot a couple times while I was doing that and blown up once. So I came back, went back into law enforcement, uh, other than drinking coffee, probably the only thing I'm good at, and <laughs> did that for a number of years. Uh, then I got another contract. This time I went to Africa on a ship uh, doing uh, sniper operations, uh, long-range shooting for piracy. And came back from that, went, did some corporate gigs, worked for uh, Walmart Logistics for a little while um, on their safety and security planning at their warehouses here in Texas. And now I'm back in law enforcement and I'm also a business owner. Um, just I had a lot of calls from the community, from people that I had worked with in the past that needed safety and security consulting. Uh, so I started my own little business. I do that on the secular side and I also do it for churches uh, on the non-secular side. Um, just it's just such a passion for me. And so doing things in the corporate world allows me to do the things in the church world. And I just, I love it. I have to ask, you were blown up. Uh, yeah. So the vehicle got blown up and uh, you know, that's not, you don't sit in there for very much longer after that. It was, it was a level seven vehicle. So uh, just shaking up a little bit, 
uh, but we had to get out of it. And so once we did, then, you know, small arms fire started happening from the, the people that tried to blow us up. So. But you were okay physically? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was okay. You know, I went over there knowing, you know, what the risk was. And that was just sure. one of those days. You know, we, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and lie. We made really good money for that risk. Um, and thankfully I didn't have to cash the check that I had written all the way to include my life, you know? Right. Absolutely. I have to tell you, uh, Gary Lavox from Rascal Flats did a beautiful video for my daughter about what an inspiration she is. He yeah. was the sweetest human being, like just the nicest guy. You would never expect him to be Rascal Flats or the singer of Rascal Flats. You would never guess that. I mean, just, yeah, you know, I've, I've protected some people that were not that. Um, and, you know, I'm fortunate in my life now I pick and choose who I'm going to do protection for, uh, especially if you're talking executive protection like that. Um, but yeah, the Toby Keith of the world, uh, those type of people, it, it's a joy to do it because they, they enjoy uh, the people, you know, they, and, and so we have to make sure they can do it safely. And, and it's, re- it's really nice to see that side of it. Right. Uh, you know, we're, Recording this today, and, and today is the, I don't know if you've been following it, the conclusion of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. And I got a lot of backslap about the fact that I supported Johnny Depp from day one. You got beaten by a man. Yes, I did. But again, as I said pre-interview, that doesn't mean all men are bad. Um, you know, you watch the body language of Amber Heard during the trial. She was falsifying so many things. And the reason I'm mentioning that is every time that the jury came in, Johnny Depp showed sympathy and, and sincerity to the to them. When he left every day, he shook every officer's hand and thanked them for their service every single day. And he didn't even know the cameras were there. This is a man who dresses up as Jack Sparrow, goes out to children's hospitals, you know, stand-up guy. But when he testified about the abuse, you know, he looked down, he couldn't look at Amber, he couldn't, you know, he you could see the pain. He, you know, he was a victim of child abuse as well. So I I just the Hollywood stars of that way, just, you know, there's some out there that really do love their fans and are just good people. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I've, I've said this before on other podcasts and I, and I teach this way, you can tell a lot about a person, their character, when the cameras are not around, when they're by themselves, cameras are off or they don't know cameras are on. Uh, you can tell a lot about that person's character by how they treat others around them. Right. Absolutely. One of the main reasons I wanted you here today, Guy, is I am one of those people that I just can't get over all of the school shootings that are going on. I just can't. I can't. I think about the one that just happened and my heart breaks for those individuals. I read about a little boy who got shot. Um, He had shrapnel. He covered himself in his best friend's blood and pretended to be dead. And that broke my heart. Like I choked up on that and everybody else is focusing on, well, the shooter killed his grandmother and then drove his truck somewhere near the school and then got out with body armor and proceeded into the school shooting officers on scene. And it took the officers an hour to get in and subdue the guy. But my thought is, and I can't wait to hear what you're saying is on this. When we were in school, we didn't have to worry about that stuff. We didn't ever have to worry about a shooter coming in. Why do you think that this is all going on now? Well, yeah, that's a lot to unpack there. So your audience can't see, but I'm, I'm an older guy. When you, if you go to my webpage, you'll be able to see my profile. So I do. I mean, what, our, what was our biggest risk? We had to do the, uh, the hide under the desk drills, right? For severe right. weather. Uh, 
uh, stuff like that. We had uh, shelter-in-place locations for bomb fallout. Uh, that was our biggest risk. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you my personal opinion in studying these uh, catastrophes around the nation, whether you look at Buffalo uh, and you look at Uvalde, you look at Columbine, as you, you can see the pattern get faster and faster. There's more frequency of these things. The more we uh, allowed social media to dictate our lives, the more we started letting, you know, a six inch screen be what drives us everywhere we go, everything we do. And more important than that, it drives our feelings. So what kids are experiencing nowadays is virtual feelings. They don't have real feelings anymore. They may have a real feeling if something's impacting them directly, but then they just post about it. And so anybody that responds to that, that's a virtual feeling. I'm not experiencing that. I'm not even next to you experiencing that in real life. So I, I'm just going to send you thoughts and prayers, or I'm just going to say that's horrible, but that's not real. We don't really see the impact anymore of, of people having bad feelings. And then maybe the other side of that also is that every, it's a me-focused society now. Everything has to be focused on me, and if I am made to feel bad, then maybe I need to cancel that organization or I need to recruit people to cancel that organization. I feel bad. So everybody in my circle, my sphere of influence also better feel bad and we need to do something about it. It's me, me, me driving all that. So you've got those two things uh, put together. That's just a recipe for disaster where people don't feel like anybody really cares about them because, you know, realistically virtual feelings on a screen aren't feelings. Correct. Absolutely. The, the question I get asked a lot, and, and you're definitely hands down the expert, do you believe that the kids today are more violent because of the video games? Mm, I don't know. I think, um, I, well, certainly there are some violent video games, but again, that's just a virtual world. Now, there, there comes a point in time when we have to stand up and also say, hey, what are parents doing in the household? I'm not, I'm not afraid or shy to say that there's got to be some parenting going on. And I understand kids are kids and, and they're evolving. I I saw a study not uh, not too long ago uh, that, that girls are getting their periods sooner and sooner. Um, So what's causing that we have to, we have to investigate that, but you know, a lot of stuff in the home that, you know, this isn't a political debate, but we've been incentivizing single mother homes for a long time. Right. Uh, And so if we're going to continue down that path and, we're going to continue to get, you know, people that, that don't have a good home life. They don't have a dad there maybe necessarily to help them out and figure out some tough things in their life. You know, I, I had to have the, uh, the birds and the bees talk with my kids. I didn't have to. I wanted to. Uh, I have a, a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old, and I had that last year with them, with both of them, uh, because I don't, I don't want anything to impact their life before I want it to impact their life. We're fortunate we get to homeschool, so I dictate a lot of that. But it, it, it really is um, – so, you know, back to the point, is it a video game? I don't know. Um, could could some of that drive some of that? Certainly, if, it, if it's not monitored, if it's not checked, if it's not in moderation, for sure, you know, you start living in a virtual world, which we're, again, we're doing more and more of. Right. I have that old school guy mentality from my grandparents, and I literally have a sign at the table that, you know, home is your family, and these are the roots. But I have a sign over there that says no hats at the table, no cell phones at the table, no nothing, because we're going to hear, we're going to actually have conversations. And my grandfather used to have this saying that if he wanted the individual to be at the table for dinner, he would have invited them. And 
that's the kind of thing. It's like, we're going to say, I've prepared a meal. We're going to sit down as a family. You're going to tell us about your day. We're going to have a conversation and it's not going to have anything to do with anything that has to charge at the end of the day. It's, it's no electronics. And people yep. like, how do you do that? I can't stand to go to a restaurant and watch people not talk to each other. They're just sitting there on their phone the whole time. What is it? Yeah. What is the point oh, yeah. of that? Yeah, we pile all our phones in the middle of the table. Um, and if it's something emergent, then, you know, we'll, it's a different, you can set a different sound or a different tone for that. Right. For sure. Certain things. Um, so it is, it's, it's really, we're less, you know, so we are as a society, we're more connected than we ever have been. I can know when, when something happens on the other side of the world in an instant, right. but we're less connected as people. We don't know how to have conversation. We don't know how to look of another person that's walking towards us in the eye. We don't know how to hold ourselves up with the pride. Uh, and give that same pride and love away to somebody we're interacting with. So it, it's it's tough because everything's just turned turn to a virtual world. Yes, absolutely. So what do you think our schools need to do from a safety point of view in order to protect our kids? Yeah, that's, you know, I, I teach a lot of seminars on this. I teach it to schools. I teach it to corporations. It's not, there's no one magic thing that an organization or a school can do. It's a, it's a lot of different pieces and a lot of different players in that protection that all have to come together and work towards the same goal. So, it, you know, in the security world, we work on defense in depth. You know, there's so we understand what we want to protect the school, but we work outwards from that on building layers of security that go towards that goal. Um, the, the best thing an organization, any organization can do when they're starting, uh, even if you've been doing it for a while and not just doing it well, is have a good risk assessment. That a risk assessment is one is is something people forget to do. But if you just jump into okay, I want to keep something safe and secure. Well, if you don't know where to put your time, money, and energy, you're just going to put it everywhere and hope you get it right. A risk assessment is a real good roadmap to go from good to great in safety and security. It also exposes the gaps and opportunities that may exist in that environment, and then gives you mitigation measures to put in place for that. So you you know. You build, though, you don't want a school to look like a Fort Knox for sure, but we do want to identify boundary areas, like the furthest point of the property. Can that be done by fences? Can it be done by cameras? And so any, anytime anybody breaches those furthest boundary areas, whether it's a parking lot or a field that they walk across, we want to be able to find that as quick as possible uh, and stop it as far away from the thing we're trying to protect as possible. Now, in, in Uvalde, they had... Uh, they had someone that saw the, the crash and they reported it. They called 911 and a teacher that, you know, the thought was initially that the door was propped open. That's not true. The door was propped open. The teacher saw the crash and heard someone say he has a gun and took the prop from underneath the door and went back inside. Now that door, uh, unfortunately didn't latch the way it should have, you know, when you remove something from a prop door, it's right. got a spring right. system like that. It should have shut, but it didn't latch. And that's how the uh, the clown, the coward, the killer, and that access to school at that point. So again, that that's just another point of failure in the system. And so we teach from locked classroom doors, or we have locked doors within our facility that we have offices in, um, and, and so that then can't be breached possibly. And then and, and then we have training for all of our staff, and not just training that is a PowerPoint, uh, but the training that I do when I go out it, it impacts a sympathetic nervous system, and that's. That's so vitally important for this type of training because a PowerPoint is great. Colorful posters are wonderful to put on the wall. But if nobody has ever been under stress and duress and having to lock and layer and reinforce a door, 
they won't know how to do it. Right. People do not magically rise to some superhuman level in these type of crises that unless they've had pre-programming in their brain or they've had training that impacts their sympathetic nervous system through stress and duress in their environment to help them understand you do have capability, you do have ability. Right. So for the kids that listen, I mean, I have a good following from teenagers. What would you tell them to do if they were in school and then a shooter showed up? So number one is that is that uh, situational awareness, right? I know school is boring. I get it. I've, I've gone through it. I barely graduated. Um, and so school is boring. But if we can keep our face out of our phones for a little while, we can connect with people. Listen, these these cowards, they stand out like a sore thumb. They, they're the kids maybe that you see that don't talk to anybody. They have their head down. They're always mopey. They always look like they have a black cloud over them. They're the kids that, you know, no other kids pay attention to. Um, and, and adults, too, the same way. They, they'll stand out. If someone is coming to do harm, they typically stand out, but we wait too long to recognize it because, again, we're, we're a lot of times me-centered and we're in our phones. So kids, you know, build that situational awareness. Know when something is wrong in your environment. And then beyond that, when something is wrong in your environment, say something. There, there's that, you know, the phrase out there, the see something, say something. But more important than that, the third part they missed is do something. See something, say something. You got to tell the right person, but you've got to do something. You've got to physically make contact with the right people and make sure they do something about it. Even if it's one of their friends, they need to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so what's the worst that happens if you talk to an adult and say, hey, I get this sense from this person. Uh, I've seen this, this and this about this person. Well, sure. I mean, people in authority are going to want to have a conversation with that person. But what's the worst that happened? People in authority had a conversation with them to make sure they didn't meet any criteria. That, that's not that's not a problem. Right. Now, when I when I go to corporations and teach this, I tell them, you know, your bosses by having me here support one thing: you taking action. So if you see someone in your parking lot just doesn't look right, and you choose to get the front doors of your business locked, and that person was a customer, oh well. Right. Oh, well, you know, what's the worst that happened? They were delayed for a minute. And then you can explain how important safety and security is for all your employees. Great. You may have a sale come out of that. Yeah. You know, you students need to be empowered to do something. And everybody at their workplace needs to be empowered. Don't you think the students need better training themselves on how to provide safety for themselves? Yeah, there, there is that that gets missed sometimes because we think kids aren't mature enough to understand the subject matter. Listen, they're in it. They understand it. A lot of times they understand it better than adults do. And maybe an adult made them feel bad for speaking up. Uh, maybe they were uh, harassed by peers because they said something about somebody. You know, all that all that plays into it as well. The kids are in this environment, whether we believe it or not, they are. And so the training is paramount to them too. The school has to provide them training. Anytime, anytime you go to a public space, you know, you have to have your own situational awareness. But when the school is charged with maintaining your safety and security, they have to give you that training as well. But beyond that, you should seek it out. You know, I do a kids training. Uh, we do a campus, a pre-campus training for kids that are transitioning from high school to college, things to be aware of and, and important things to know. Uh, and we do a younger kids training as well. Hey, just some of the active shooter stuff, which is a little heavy, uh, but they need to know, but they, sure. and, and all of the environmental stuff that they need to know to keep themselves safe. Right. It's, it's so scary. It's so scary because you have to give me a little leeway. You're talking about 180-ish days that have happened. This 
calendar year so far. And there's been over 212 shootings in schools already. That's, that's just, that literally like feels like somebody's sitting on my chest. And it's just so hard to understand why, why that they're doing this to our kids. Yeah. So, and some of those numbers, I'm not sure you got that. Some of those could be conflated a little bit with, uh, maybe kids who shot off a gun in a parking lot of a school. Sure. Um, so maybe not nationally act, active killer events, but, you know, some sort of gun interaction in those environments. Right. But I don't, under, I mean, I just can't understand how we can't get our hands around this better, how we can't make these numbers go down and then make them stop. You know, I mean, it's just the, the factor, you know, one of the things that I'm doing with this now is we're doing a teen talk show and I interviewed a beautiful 14-year-old girl, and she told me that one of the main things that she's scared about going to school every day is because people are walking up and just touching her inappropriately, and administration's doing nothing. They're not yeah. protecting them. She was hurt at school physically by somebody, and the school did nothing. They gave them a one-day suspension, and that's it, and that, you know, they don't feel safe. Um, and it's like, I can't imagine trying to obtain your education and worrying about your safety at that level every day. Can you imagine my going home and seeing my family again? Yeah, you know, um, so you look at the Boston Tea Party. We were taxed without representation, right? And all these parents, they're taxed, and they should have representation. They should have voice. Uh, so you do pay your school taxes. And this is, the, you know, it, it's the hard sometimes because it's, both parents are working, uh, so it's hard to get to school board meetings and stuff like that. But maybe more important is just setting up that individual meeting on your schedule when you can make it and the administrators can make it. School board meetings, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's not going to get better because uh, because nobody's speaking up. Parents need to have to use their voice and be loud. You know, I, I look at all the, uh, you know, here in, here in the United States of Texas, as I say, we are very fond of our football, or especially our high school football. So you will see multi-million dollar football stadiums in just about every major city. Uh, so you spent millions of dollars on football and extracurricular activity, but your $100,000 budget on safety and security is, you know, you're trying to cut more out of that. It, it, we just have that wrong. We, we have that so wrong. And it's because, you know, the frequency of these events may not seem uh, or may not bear out that it is all that frequent, but when it happens, it's, it's catastrophic. And that's the reason why we prepare. We don't prepare based on frequency. We prepare based on uh, outcome. So, you know, these parents need to just start taking their voice and, and building it louder and louder and say, listen, I don't care if, if these kids on this football team have new uniforms next year. I do care that they can all be on the field because they're not dead. So what are you going to do, Mr. and Mrs. Administrator and the board? What are you going to do about that? And, and the louder we raise those voices, you're, the more you're going to see change. And the other problem we have, though, is we have uh, defunct or derelict mental health programs all over the nation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Another concern I have is <clears throat> a special needs mom myself is what happens during an active shooter with the special needs department, because some of these kids can't go in a corner. Some of these kids cannot be quiet and that's not their fault. That mm -hmm. is not their fault. You know, is there anything implemented in place that's going to protect them? What do we do for them to ensure that they get to go home? You know, that's yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good call out. It's the same with hospitals, right? You don't, nurses don't want to leave their non-ambulatory patients and same with special needs in school. 
the teachers have a heart. That's that's why they're doing it. Um, I don't think they're just thrown into into the wolves with no right. specialized training. And it is definitely a heart driven mission. Right. Uh, it's it's the same as I see the, uh, uh, the the ladies that work in the church nursery. I I don't know how they do that. I don't have that heart. Uh, I wish I did, but I don't. So it, it comes from the heart. So I know they're not going to leave anybody behind. So you have to give them different training. It's it's got to be different. You have to give them different capabilities and different abilities for that situation. Maybe it's making sure that room can be hardened even more. Maybe it's making sure the kids have something special to do uh, during those catastrophic times. You know, coloring books that never come out until a special time. Toys that don't come out until a special time. And then we have they special mats, right? Maybe yeah, it's because they're sensitive to sound. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then we have special mats that are in a special corner of the room that can't be seen by a window. Uh, all these type of things have to go into the pre-planning, and that's that is really the um, the the best thing organizations can do is get is get really good in the pre-planning. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Do you work with any survivors of abuse? I don't, other than the initial inception, you know, showing up officer on scene. Uh, I don't, I don't do too much of that anymore. I'm, I'm the chief for my agency. Uh, we do support a, uh, a city police force here in the, in the area as well. And so we will, a lot of times I'll be first officer on scene, second officer on scene, uh, in those domestic violence situations. And it is, I think it's so important as a, as a law enforcement officer, I've kind of evolved over, over my time, just seeing the needs of people. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to make any, uh, uh, you know, lies about it. I was a hard, rigid officer when I first started, you know, I was one of those guys who always wanted to take down the bad guy. And if I wasn't taking down a bad guy, I saw no need for me to be there. Um, I wanted to chase people. I wanted to fight people. Uh, but over the years I've, I've evolved away from that and it's more of a heart. Um, I don't need, uh, you know, if you want to give me a business card and put a title on it nowadays, I'd say customer service professional. Because that's that's what we do. We we are customer service, and so every customer is different, and all of their needs are different when they interact with me. So how can I be the best customer service professional for them? And a lot of time in those domestic violence situations, it's being an ear to listen, to recognize all the evidence that's there, collect it uh, as soon as possible in the proper way, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you in the last five years. Yeah, probably five, six years. Uh, I've given out a lot more hugs than I ever have. And it's, you know, people just think officers don't take hugs. You don't do handshakes. There's always that fear. Someone's trying to get over on you or get your gun and all that. Listen, I can recognize a bad guy. And if someone looks like they need a hug, I'm going to give that hug. You know, I I want someone to see that just because I'm in a uniform doesn't mean I don't have a heart under here. doesn't mean I, I don't have empathy for your situation. Right, and right. we make sure everybody gets the, the, the help that is available to them and they know every piece of the step uh, of all the next steps that are coming up and they can expect. Why do you think that some law enforcement officers, the, the statistics in law enforcement and military are higher of domestic violence than they are sure. just the normal civilian sector. And there are plenty of women I've worked with that are afraid to come forward because their spouse is an officer and they know that if they've gone to their captain or watch commander or, you know, somebody of that rank, that it's just turned and looked the other way or covered up or forget forgotten. What do you say to those women? You know, yeah, you know, it used to, we used to have a really big good old boy system. You know, you hear about the thin blue line and I think that's, 
that's there's something to that. Um, and I, I like to think we're we're forcing those guys out. Uh, the good old boy system. Uh, it is becoming a more more of a profession. Uh, listen, I I teach at the Law Enforcement Management Institute here in Texas. I teach leadership, and the first thing I tell students that come through my course is, "We are not a profession. We're a trade," and that hits hard. You know, that's a gut punch to them who thought they were a profession in a profession. And it, it doesn't mean they're not professionals. It just right. means we, what we do, we're not a profession by definition of a profession. We're more of a trade. And as we work towards weeding out the bad cops or our bad cops, the bad supervisors, the bad leaders, we'll, we'll be better in customer service. You know, it, it has to be, you know, those, those, those people just need to be ferreted out and found out and exposed. Uh, it sometimes needs to be a squeaky wheel, says it over and over and finds out who the boss of that person is and who the boss of that boss is and and not and just be unrelenting in that. If you feel like you're not getting customer service, then you need to speak up. You know, social media is is, is sometimes bad, but it is good for those type of situations because, you know, if, if I just let's use a product as an example, if I have a bad experience with a product. I can reach a hundred thousand people quick about my bad experience with the product. Absolutely. And if that, that company's paying attention, they'll come to me directly to erase that or fix that. So I can say good things about the product and police departments. You're seeing more and more, majority of them have Facebook accounts. You can have, you can write a bad review and you will get some answers from that a lot of times. So it, it very, I mean, yeah, the smaller departments, but in, in larger departments, you're seeing very few of that anymore because, we can't we can't do what we need to do for a community if we have rottenness inside our own organization. We it erodes trust, and if we if we erode that trust, then you know how many people are are going to support us when we need support? It's right. it's not going. So and we it's have, such a tough time now for you to be a police officer in this. Day. It is. It's it's probably tougher than at any other time. But I think we're producing a better quality candidate that comes out. Uh, at least a smarter candidate. The street smarts may not be there. You know, for my department particularly, I don't hire a new or, or uh, a new officer. I hire a more seasoned veteran officer. Uh, you have to have a certain level of license to come work for me. Uh, just because I know you've been around the block. You So here's an example. A 21-year-old here in Texas can become a peace officer uh, and go through the academy and come out on the road by the end, by, before their 22nd birthday. What is that guy or gal going to do at a domestic disturbance having never had any experience with that in their life at all? Right. Empathy is, is and heart and love is something we need to operate with in every instance. I don't care if I'm dealing with a sexual predator or not. He's going to get empathy and love from me first. And I will deal with the crime. The crime is the crime. But I, I've got to I've got to present love and empathy first to to, you know, give the best customer service possible. What do you tell these women in order to stay safe until they can get out? Yeah. So, you know, it's building that network, right. Of friends and you, it's hard to share. I understand that it's, it's hard. It's, it's um, you know, sometimes like, embarrassing, right. To share those facts of your marriage, especially if you're one of those couples that everybody's like, Oh, they have a wonderful marriage. Well, right. behind the scenes, it may not be. So you start building those network of, of trusted individuals, um, girlfriends that you know you can rely on, that you say, after you leave your house for the night, you say, I'm coming over, 
I need a bed and a place to stay. No questions to ask. We can talk over coffee in the morning. So you need to start building that network of, of those trusted individuals. And those, those also have to be people that aren't going to talk behind your back. They have to be people that aren't going to gossip about you and say, hey, here, she, you know, she spent the night here last night. Those have to be really trusted friends, even family, if you can get family involved uh, to be able to do that. It's, it's got to be a network. Um, it's, it's no different than when you're trying in the military, you're trying to get out of a bad situation. You need places you can go. Uh, to return fire sometimes or just stay out of the line of fire and then jump to the next one, jump to the next one. And those support networks should be, you know, boosting you up every step of the way, uh, refilling your gas tank, giving you, um, you know, your your personal gas tank, not necessarily your car, which would be nice, though, in these days and times. Right. right. Um, (laughs) What is gas out there a gallon right now? Sorry. Oh, gosh. I think I I filled up my patrol car at 419 or 430 today. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful it was uh, out of my budget and not out of my personal. There you go. Um, so, you know, those those people need to be filling up your heart, filling you up and, and, and giving you positive affirmation in your choices that you're making. Right. Uh, but you have to have a lot of them because, you know, you know, uh, people have lives, too. And they, you know, a couch is good for one night, but it may not be good for two nights. Um, and then you also, you know, have to have... Um, the, the necessary tools, I'll say, to be able to do that. Maybe it's a, a hidden bank account, or maybe it's money you're, you're giving to a trusted friend to hold on to for you. Every time you get a $20 bill, they hold on to it for you. The resources to be able uh, to stand on your own two feet for at least three months is what I usually recommend. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I tell everybody that they have survived 100% of their worst days, and I let that resonate for just a minute. And then people really kind of stand up and go, wow, that's true, you know, and when you sit there and say, I can't do this anymore. I was that person. I was on the floor bleeding from places you're not supposed to bleed from. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. And then I thought, I have survived 100% of my worst days. I can come out of this. I can better myself and, and get out. Yeah, that's so absolutely true. You you have to have, it, it takes real courage. You know, I, uh, I don't know that I have that amount of courage to get out of a domestic violence situation. It takes a ton, a ton of courage. And um, when someone does that, they have to understand, they have to be proud of themselves, that they cared enough about themselves, that they love themselves enough. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to have kids in that situation, and you've got to bring them with you. Um, and, and that's the right thing to do. That could be a catalyst to move you into the right um, location, or at least getting out of there. But to stand up on your own two feet and make a decision for yourself, that, that should be applauded. And and it, there should be no stigma attached to that at all. It's, those, those women are heroes that are able to do that. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, was, I did it when I was pregnant and, and then I, I fought and got the rights terminated. And it was just, you know, like my daughter deserved better and I deserved better. And this was not how my life was going to be. And at one point in time, to be honest, I thought that I would die in his hands. And I almost did multiple times, mm-hmm. but you know, now I try to help other people find that inner light. And I tell them that even if you think that inner light is gone or it's just barely flickering, even in the darkest of night, it's going to light up that room. And you do believe in yourself because you're here right now. And even if you're just listening, it's still taking a step forward and you do believe in yourself and taking one step forward is a whole lot better than going backwards. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it is, uh, it is such a courageous thing. And, and, the important part of it, the mental aspect of it is, is being able to unload some of that. You know, if you're in a domestic violence situation and you're holding all that in because you want to hold the marriage together, you want to hold 
uh, the outward appearance together. You want to hold the house together, whatever it is. You, you, you can only hold so much before right. you break, you know? And so we, we can't attach that stigma to it. Like, you Oh, don't go outside your marriage and look for help. Now that, that, I mean, that, that can't be anymore. We, we have so many resources available to us as a society anymore. Um, it, it you've got to be able to confide in someone and unburden yourself a little bit because that then allows you to take the steps that you need to take. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I do is I offer support groups and social groups of people who have been through this, that they can come in and have a safe haven. It's judgment free, that they can just sit and talk and, and just be themselves and not worry about what's around the corner, you know, because it's important. And it, they're free groups just so you can come in and just, you know, exhale. Cause it's, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of that is fear, right? And so what is fear? Fear is having a problem with no solution. Right. And so when we start realizing, well, there are solutions and then we start reaching out for those solutions, then we lower that fear and lower that fear. And, and eventually the fear is diminished enough where we can take that leap of faith that's necessary to get out. Yes. Well, if you had any motivational thing to say to the listeners before we end this today, what would you say? Well, you know, for the active shooter side of things, the law enforcement side of things, um, you know, I would say um, improve your situational awareness. Uh, the easiest thing you to do to improve your situational awareness, uh, and this can go for domestic violence too, is anytime you go to a major public space, whether it's, uh, I don't want to give any, you know, promotional for anybody, but Target, Walmart, big box store, stuff like that. Anytime you go into these giant public spaces, the, the first thing you should do is move over to the side after you enter and pause, take what we call a tactical pause, uh, listen to the sounds that are going on in there, uh, see the sights that are going on in there, and the smells that are going on there. You know, our senses, uh, of our senses, the smell is the fastest to register in the brain, uh, because the eyes take in a lot, and they, and they have to figure out what that is when they see it, but the smell center is fast. So now what, you're, what you've done is establish a baseline, right? I have a baseline of this location. If anything in that baseline is interrupted, sight, sound, or smell, I'm going to stop denying and I'm going to get into action immediately for myself. And I'm going to take a lot of people with me if I can. I'm going to encourage them to go with me. On the domestic violence side, uh, for people that are going through that, um, number one, don't, don't fear unloading your burden on people. Um, you know, fear, fear is a powerful weapon that you could use against yourself. Yes. So the, the way to start erasing that is to stop, uh, stop real, or start realizing that you have real power in yourself. And if it is a law enforcement problem, everybody has a boss and they are all on social media. So if you're not having a good customer service experience, let everybody know after you've tried to work through it, let everybody know, and you'll definitely have a better customer service experience. Or at least that's the hope. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today and tell everybody where they can find you. Sure. You can go over to guybeverage.com, guybeverage.com, see everything we do over there as far as uh, in-person training. We do some virtual risk assessments if your organization meets the re uh, requirements for that. We do everything from leadership training for your C-suite all the way down to your first level managers uh, at guybeverage.com. And you can reach me at guy at guybeverage.com, guy at guybeverage.com. And we're going to have all that linked up with the show so people can find that. Thank you so very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Victoria, thank you so much for what you do. You, you, you're such a need in the community and the world. And I'm, I'm just blessed to be on here. And I, I definitely have a contagious smile now. 
Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you.